Hi, this is Yolanda. I'm sharing with you the memoirs of President Joseph Smith III, 1832 to 1914. And we're at the beginning of chapter 18, page 148. And the chapter is entitled First Trip West. And the subtitle is A Friend Indeed. Enjoy and thank you for joining me. Many of the recollections which come to my mind are perhaps of little importance so far as the work I was striving to do is concerned. There were the events of everyday life about my home and in the Herald office which occupied my time and attention. They often come to my memory as well as the incidents connected with my efforts to assist in preaching in different pulpits in the country round about. I was in the strength and vigour of manhood and extremely anxious to bring our message before the public in every possible way, using both written and spoken words in the effort and occupying wherever and whenever opportunity offered. The days, months and years slipped by, filled to the brim with busy labour, which seemed from this distance of time, seems... Oh, let me start that again. Which seen from this distance of time seems more or less routine, but when experienced was attended by a full quota of the interest, the sunshine and the shadow with which earth life is accentuated. Under the urge of strong invitations from the brethren on the Pacific slope and in gratification of my own desires to see the far-famed beauties of of the land, of sun and flowers. In the spring of 1876, I made preparations to attend a reunion at Santa Ana in Southern California, make a tour of different different branches in that state and adjoining territories, and return by way of Salt Lake City. I had heard so much extravagant praise of California, its climate, its crops of cereals and grasses, its citrus fruits, its peaches, almonds and pomegranates, that in contemplating a visit to that favoured state, I was led to wonder if I would not become so enamoured of its charms that I would thereafter be dissatisfied with my own northern home where summer and winter succeed each other in fixed rotation, and where it had apparently been ordained that my lifespan should be passed. However, I decided I should make careful observations to see if the superiority of that climb were fact or fiction. An incident preceded my leaving home, which pleased me, and I relate it here. I find in my heart only increasing respect for the memory of the man concerned. When I located in Plano, a man named Salmon P. Applegate was in the grocery and supply business there. He attended the Methodist Church, of which his wife and two daughters were members. His store was on the same side of the street as and but two blocks west of the house into which we moved and a pleasant business relationship was soon established between us. He was very friendly and accommodating, honest and upright in all his dealings with us, and gave his careful attention to our interests when the children were sent after articles, as when wife or I went to his stores ourselves. After the memorable 1st of October 1871, when so large a portion of Chicago was destroyed by fire, 
Mr Applegate took his stock of groceries into that city, thinking it an opportunity to greatly expand his business and thereby reap a quick and abundant harvest of profit. profit. However, owing to an unfortunate choice of location, the enterprise did not turn out as he had hoped, and he shortly returned to Plano, his stock of goods very much depleted and his money pretty well exhausted. He located in another building across the track and a little further away from us and started up again. By this, by the time I was planning my visit to California, he had repaired his fortunes to an encouraging extent. The day before I left, I went into his store to make arrangements for the family in my absence. I asked him to supply them with what they needed and if it should happen that they might not at times have the means to pay regularly, I requested him to kindly carry their account until I returned. This he very readily agreed to. I thanked him and was about to leave the store when he spoke asking me to remain a moment. After he had waited upon his customer he quietly said have you plenty of money for this trip i told him i thought so showing doubtless a little surprise at the question he then said mr smith i should like to help you if you need it i have been greatly prospered here and can easily advance to you any sum you might wish you can pay it back at your leisure I thanked him for his offer and told him that while I did not think I would need to take advantage of it, it was indeed a pleasant thought to me that he had expressed such an evidence of his confidence. Tears were standing in his eyes as he replied, I want you to know that I am indeed your friend. If on your journey you should find yourself out of means, just telegraph me and I will be glad to send any amount you may need to any place you name and will do it by return wire. That is the way I feel about it, though it is not necessary for anyone else to know it, of it. It was a pleasant reflection to carry away with me, to know that my family would be cared for under any circumstances, and that also that there was a friend among what we usually call our gentile neighbours, who, in case of need, would prove himself a friend indeed. I am happy to record that it was not necessary for me to make use of his proffered kindness so far as the money was concerned for as soon as i reached california i was in the care of brother daniel s mills and did not lack for means at any time thereafter i may finish my reference to mr applegate by saying that upon my return i asked him if my family had been a burden to him or if he had any account against them. He replied that they had been no worry, that he had answered every call that they had made upon his stock to the best of his ability, and would have been pleased had it been twice as much. He added that all accounts had been promptly paid by my wife. My wife said that the grocer had not only kindly furnished what he had in his stock when needed, but at times when she had desired something he did not have, he had obtained it for her from the city. During my entire stay in Plano, we continued to deal with Mr. Applegate, and he was still there in business when we left in 1881. I recall that he lost his youngest daughter, Anna, by death while we were there, and soon after his wife also. This left him and his daughter, Stella, alone, and not long ago, I learnt that he had passed over to the great majority. 
It is with pleasure I record the name of Simon B. Applegate as that of a real friend, one who was very favourable to us and interested in what we taught. He used to come into our evening meetings just about the time the sermon would, be, sermon would begin and stay until the benediction was pronounced when he would slip out very quietly as if he thought he were intruding. The prominent position occupied by his family in the Methodist Church and Sunday School doubtless hindered him from pursuing his investigations much further. He once said to me, Mr Smith, if everybody would treat us as honourably as your people do, it would be a real pleasure to do business. They are the best customers I have, for they do not run long accounts, are careful not to purchase more than they actually need, so long as they are are in debt and if at any time they cannot pay their bills on time they come in and talk it over with me they are an honourable and conscientious people this testimony from a man of the world pleased me very much incidents of travel next heading on july the 17th 1876 i left plano accompanied by my brother david as far as chariton iowa where he was met by our brother Alexander, in whose home near Andover, Missouri, he was to visit for a while. I continued on my journey toward the setting sun. At Council Bluffs and Omaha, I made a stop of a few days, during which I laid in a supply of provisions for use during the remainder of the trip, and in due time proceeded on my way to San Francisco. An incident en route may interest those who are fond of a joke. At Colfax, a vendor appeared at the side of the train with some peaches for sale. They looked good and I brought a number, but soon found they were rather hard and unpalatable. Outside the car, a gentleman was in, converse in conversation with a Chinaman who was accompanied by a lad eight or nine years of age. Thinking that, like all boys, he would like something to eat, I dropped one of the peaches out of the window, calling his attention to it as I did so. As it rolled near him, he said something in his own dialect, to which his father, I suppose it was his father, replied. Then the little fellow, with a nod towards his father and a rather comical glance at, up at me, turned and kicked the, that peach as hard as he could kick it, with a most vigorous and active toe encased in a Chinese slipper sending it rolling rapidly along the platform i laughed heartily and the little fellow joined in my amusement as he ran off with his father the train waited some time at that station for it was a point where roads crossed and meals were served a number of the passengers went to the lunchroom to eat but having already had my lunch i took advantage of the opportunity to walk about a bit in the course of my wandering, I came upon an iron cage in which was confined a very large grizzly bear. He was indeed a monster, and the first I had ever seen outside of an animal show. I stood and gazed at him a while, and then noticed near him a tiny hutch. I had apparently two, it had apparently two sections, a room in one end, which was closed, and an open one in the other, which had its slats across the front. Attached to a place where I could easily reach it hung a small steel chain, one end of which ran in 
at the little door of the closed room, indicating that the chained animal, whatever it was, was inside at present, but could come out at will to enjoy the air and sunshine. My curiosity was aroused, but I saw no one near to answer any questions I might ask. I concluded it was some small denizen of the forest on exhibition, likely where its diminutive size would serve to accentuate the great proportions of the huge grizzly nearby. I decided to make an investigation for myself, and taking hold of the slender chain, gently pulled it as an invitation for the little occupant of the tiny house to come out. While I felt a slight resistance, Mr. Animal did not respond to my suggestion, so I tried it again, thinking he might be asleep, or a bit reluctant to come out into the morning sun. Again, no result. Next time, I took a firm hold on the chain and pulled harder, when to my great astonishment, <laughs> out into the light of day emerged not some queer wild animal, but an ordinary <laughs> brick bat. The reader may imagine my chagrin and confusion. I looked about hastily and felt relieved to see no one near enough to be amused at my procedure, so I permitted myself a good hearty ringing laugh. I had been taken in completely, doubtless as had many a person before me, and as would be many a person thereafter. I returned to the train, chuckling over the good joke I had played on myself. I have no idea what a brick bat is, but it sounds funny. Um, the next heading, California. In true time, the train would... It's tripping over my tongue again. In due time, the train wound its way down the mountain into the valley. And at Niles, I was met by Brethren Mills, Simeon Stivers and Albert Hawes. It was 3.40pm and the 29th of July. Though I had heard of him occasionally, I had not seen Albert Hawes since the break-up of Nauvoo in 1846. He had been one of our nearest neighbours, a playmate and school comrade, and it was a great pleasure to meet him again. He was hale and hearty, in spite of the fact that, through an accident in which he had been crushed under a load of wood, he had become crippled. I had not met Brother Stivers before, nor was I very acquainted with Brother Mills. The latter now took me in charge, and, all, and together we rode to his home in San Jose, one of the old mission missions southeast of San Francisco. This home became my headquarters for the entire mission in that locality, which included Washington Corners, Gilroy, Al. Alameda and other towns nearby. Among those with whom I made acquaintance at this time were the fam family of Brother Stivers, who lived a short distance west of Brother Mills, their wives being sisters, John M. and Stephen Y. Horner, brothers of Sister William Hopkins of Lamoni, Brother John Joyce, the family of Earl Marshall, quite an elderly man, and a few others who had come from New York on the ship Brooklyn. It will be remembered that when the Mormons went overland from Illinois, Elder Samuel Brannan and quite a number of others embarked on that ship 
They landed at San Francisco, intending to go from there to Salt Lake City. However, the gold excitement broke out in California about that time, and they settled there instead. Most of them taking up lands that were opened for settlement. I may refer to this expedition more particularly further on. I was invited to the homes of these brethren and very much enjoyed my visits with them. At San Francisco, I became acquainted with Brother Thomas J. Andrews and family living at 436 Brannan Street, south of what was then the main business portion of the city. From that time on, whenever I was in the city of San Francisco, my home was with Brother Andrews' family, the welcome and hospitality being very cordial. Brother Andrews was a prosperous businessman, owing in and operating two kilns for drying oats for oatmeal and preparing barley and malt for distilleries and breweries, the process of which work I witnessed with considerable interest. There were two daughters and a son in the family, and also Sister Andrew's father. They were all English people, and made a very pleasant family group, very kind to their guests, and solicitous of their comfort. At San Francisco, I also met William Potter, a German by the name of Gromlich, and a number of others who had been in the church disturbance when Elder Edmund C. Briggs had dealt summarily with them. They were still clinging to the faith, however, and I was pleased to make their acquaintance. At Oakland, on the east side of the bay, I met a number of other saints, among them Brother John Roberts, who had retained his standing in good faith through all the difficulties he had encountered and was considered one of the outstanding members of the Pacific Slope. My missionary efforts, according to my memorandum, memor gosh, I'm tripping over my words again, my missionary efforts, according to my memorandum, began with a visit to Santa Rosa, where the family of Brother John Cooper, whose parents had settled in an early day on the splendid upland on the coast, was still in the faith and anxious for its success. Further north, I visited Stockton, where Sister Amma's family, consisting of three sons and her old father, represented, with a few others, our church membership. From there, I went to Sacramento, the capital, where lived brethren Hiram P. Brown, with five in his family, Hiram Falk, J.S. Morgan and E. Webb, the latter three families being originally English. I preached and laboured among the members there for a few days, assisted by Brother Brown in the interim, visiting different points of interest in the city. At Hillsburg, the Russian River country, I was the guest of Brother Edward Adamson, who was recently married, who had recently married an excellent young lady of San Francisco and moved into that region. Here I also met the next, the youngest son of Brother Jason W. Briggs, P Briggs um, Peter, I think by name, though I have understood he was sometimes called Clinton. About two o'clock one afternoon there came up a regular old-fashioned thunderstorm, similar to those we have in Illinois. This was apparently quite a surprise for everybody. I had heard much about the beauty and mildness of the Californian climate, and that they never had thunder and lightning storms there. I was quite elated over this storm and the rain being light 
I just ran out into it and threw my hat up in the air in great delight. This greatly alarmed my hosts who begged me to return into the house, but I just laughed at their fears and said, Oh ho, I know this fellow. He is from Illinois. I'm not afraid of him, for he won't harm anyone. <laughs> However, at the importunities of Brother Adamson and his wife, who was nearly in hysterics, I went back <laughs> into the house. Sister Adamson, who was about 23, was a native of California and had never heard and seen any electrical storm before and was very badly frightened. That evening, I went down to the hall where I was to preach, arriving a bit early. A group had already gathered and were discussing the afternoon storm when I came, most of them declaring they had never seen such a phenomenon in California before, and some had lived there for years. Edging up to them, I said, Gentlemen, I will tell you the reason the storm came this afternoon. I think it was for my special benefit, for I have been told over and over that you folks have no thunder or lightning here, and now I can say that I have witnessed at least one such storm in California. They looked a little doubtful, evidently thinking me a bit presumptuous to assert that the spectacle we had seen had been sent for my enjoyment. Just I, So I just added, Brothers, that is just my little joke. But at that, I leave you to figure out how it happened that the storm came just while I was here. I preached there that night and next day, at the request of Brother Bell, visited Windsor, a few miles south, preaching in his house in the evening. From there I returned to Sacramento, stopping over there a day, and then went on to Santa Rosa. Here Brother Cooper took me to a town on the opposite side of the valley, where a brother named... Oman lived, a member of the old church. Next heading, a tour with Brother Mills. At Petaluma, Sonoma County. I'm sure this is deliberate to just trip me up with my wording. At Petaluma, Sonoma County. I spoke in Ross Hall and met another household of old time saints and had quite an enjoyable visit with them returning returning to san francisco i got in touch with brother mills and in his buggy we started a tour to the north and east to visit a branch or two which were off the main line of travel at stanville we were the guests of brother isaac russell where we had a splendid meal of squirrel oh my gosh squirrel didn't know didn't know people ate squirrel <laughs> Considered the pest of the country because of its destructiveness in the wheat fields. Early the next morning, we resumed our journey and late in the afternoon reached the neighbourhood of Mount Diablo, where we lunched, fed our team and then between the hours of 8 and 11, undertook the ascent of the mountain 800 feet high. I walked part of the way up, Brother Mills driving the team, but on reaching a certain point he called me and bade me get into the wagon. At the same time he got out and gathered some stones along the roadside, which procedure aroused, aroused my curiosity. Presently he threw a stone and something stirred up in the brush. He came back to the wagon, got in and we started on again. He answered to my, in answer to my inquiry, he told me there had been a mountain lion in the way. 
but assured me the animal was not apt to attack us unless annoyed and driven into a corner. At the top of the mountain we stopped as a, at a small clearing where we found an engineer by the name of Davidson who, with his corps of surveyors, was making triangulations along the coast. Here we pitched camp, lay down under our wagon and slept until near daylight when we arose in order to see the sunrise over the Sierra Nevada mountains. They stretched along the horizon some 140 to 180 miles to the east, their rugged outlines in the semi-lights of approaching dawn, appearing like irregular saw teeth. As the sun rose, we found ourselves above a light sea of fog, which shut out all the landscape, landscape below, leaving only to our sight the small area upon which we stood. Breakfast was eaten at a shack where transients were so accommodated, after which I had a novel experience. As the sun rose higher in the heavens, the fog was driven from the valley, and through the telescopes which we were permitted to use there, we surveyed the wonderful panorama spread round about us. We could see the Farallion Islands. 60 miles off the coast to the west and counted 17 villages and cities within a radius of 48 miles which included Sacramento 40 miles north, San Francisco um, the little towns of Niles, Bellagio, Costa Rica and one called Livermore through which we had passed in coming up there we discovered a building on fire, which Brother Mills identified as the hotel in the place. This deduction proved to be correct, for we passed the burning embers about 11 o'clock that same day on our return trip. Referring again to the rainstorm at Heldsburg, with its accompanying thunder and lightning, I may say it was one of a number of experiences of that first trip to California, which residents there thought unusual or foreign to that climb. Going from Oakland across the bay to San Francisco one day, I noticed a young man who appeared quite ill. I said, young man, you look sick. If you were in Illinois now, I should say you have ague of chills and fever. But since they do not have such ailments in California, it must be something else that distresses you. Who says they don't have ague in California? he asked. Why, I have been so informed a number of times, both on my way out and since I have reached the coast. Well then, stranger, they have lied to you, for it is a you I have all right, and I got it since I came out here, for I was well when I arrived. At Stockholm, no, that's not right, at Stockton, Sister Irma has three in her family sick with that same ailment. And at Sacramento, five of brother Hiram P. Brown's family were down with it at once. In Oakland, there was a brother, Orrin Smith, and his wife, the latter, a relative of Sister Bartholomew, who were both sick. They had come down from Visalia and were quite ill. After leaving California, I learned that Sister Smith had died as a result. These observations convinced me that given the same conditions, stagnant water and unseasonable weather, ague, chills and fever 
could be as prevalent on the Pacific coast as anywhere else and prove as fatal. In passing south, I made a stop at Watsonville, where lived brother George W. Adams and wife. He was a miller, had quite a nice property there and was influential. I preached at the village and one evening was invited by brother William Hutchins to accompany him home for supper. He had settled in the outskirts of town and had a large orchard. He was one of the most enthusiastic horticulturists I had met and showed me with pardonable pride his crops of fruit, plums, apricots and peaches. I saw one young tree which had 17 crops under it to support the weight of fruit the limbs were carrying and marvelled greatly at the wonderful productiveness of the soil. I wondered if a succession of such crops might not ultimately sap the life of the trees. But Brother Hutchins thought not. I recall that notwithstanding there was no evidence of flies, I found a number of apples in his orchard that had been stung by the same kind of fruit fly which attacked our apples in the northern states, of which webs and deterioration were the evidences. Passing over many incidents of my trip in the northern part of California, where my missionary labours occupied many weeks, I shall speak of the southern portion. At Anaheim, I was met by Brother Joseph F. Burton and taken to Gospel Swamp, some ten or twelve miles down the coast or more. Here a boa had been prepared for use as an outdoor pulpit, but a number of prejudiced individuals counselling among themselves on Friday nights before had burned the structure. Nothing daunted the brethren. Nothing daunted, the brethren had immediately rebuilt it and our services proceeded. Next heading, Disputed Territory. Without paying much attention to incidents connected with the meeting held there, I will recount some of the conditions which confronted me, the results of which were more or less disturbing to my peace of mind. It seems as a number of years before, someone secured from the Mexican government a grant for an extensive range of haki Inde called Los Bolsa, as I understood it. The extent of this tract had been defined in the grant, one line of which was surveyed and described as the centre of the Santa Ana River. The owners occupied it for quite a long time, perhaps a hundred years or more, and then it happened that the river, in one of its periodical risings, caused by the excessive fall of snow and rain in the mountains cut a new channel which started from a point in the north or northeast ran out into the delta quite away and then after a number of miles of this detour again returned to its former bed the tract that was thus left between the line of the original survey and the new riverbed was quite extensive just how large I did not learn, and it became the object of disputed possession in this way. With the outcome of the Mexican War, the United States acquired the territory in that region. Upon the hypothesis that in the transfer from one government to the other, the old grant of this tract in question would be overlooked and the land be subject to entry as public domain, numbers of Americanos 
and Mexicanos entered in upon it and set up improvements among the former group, a number of our church members. Shortly before my visit to the locality, the original owners had revived their claim and a contest between them and the settlers was well underway when I arrived. In explaining the situation to me, the brethren told me that their action in settling upon the tract had been largely result of some manifestations that had been received among them through prophecy, tongues and otherwise, in which they had been assured that they would be successful in the move and that the matter in dispute would ultimately be decided in their favour. Among those who had listened to these prophecies were Brother Daniel S. Mills, a Brother Walker and Elder Russell Huntley. I mention the latter particularly for he was the man who, in the past, furnished the money to rehabilitate Elder John E. Page and to foster the movement of Zadok Brooks to revive the work at Kirtland, Ohio. This effort to get John E. Page sufficiently interested failed as also did a subsequent movement made by some of the elders of the reorganisation. Briefly stated, some results were about as follows. Under the mission, as he supposed, of Zadok Brooks, Elder Huntley brought and repaired quite a number of buildings at Kirtland, including the old mill. He discovered while there that a fine imposed upon father for an assault and battery committed before his departure from Kirtland had either not been paid or, if paid, had not been noted upon the docket. In consequence of this, a judgment had been allowed in a certain justice's court. By the help of some legal authority, Elder Huntley managed to revive this judgment under the terms of which the Kirtland Temple, as a supposed asset belonging to Father, was sold, and he became the purchaser, bidding it in for the amount of the former judgment and the costs of the court as allowed by law. Then followed a season of repairing the damages the building had sustained through neglect and abuse, and some money was spent in refurnishing. The Zadok Brooks movement went to pieces, and was briefly succeeded by a similar movement fostered by a man whom I met in the southwest some years afterward, and who had won a small following near Burlington, Wisconsin, when the Brooks movement failed, Elder Huntley sold out in Kirtland as well as he could, retaining only the title to the temple and engaging in other pursuits. He had been a thorough farmer of a fair businessman in Tekalb, Illinois. It was from him that Brethren Rogers and Gurley of the publishing committee purchased the press and type with which the Herald was started. Finally, Elder Huntley had gone to California for his health and there met Brother John Roberts of Oakland, whom he learned to regard highly, believing that in him he had indeed found a man without guile. A period of study and reflection which grew out of these associations was followed by his baptism by Brother Roberts and later an ordination to the office of Elder. When I met Elder Huntley at Santa Ana, I learned that he had furnished some of the brethren with money to improve their tracks in this disputed territory of which I, w I have written, urged thereto by the force of the manifestations which had been had among them concerning the saints' occupancy of the land. 
Brother D.S. Mills had been employed by the group to represent their interests in the conferences with the agents of the original owners and was at the time of my visit in the midst of the controversy. I was asked my opinion after listening to what the different ones had told me about the contentions and claims which were being set forth without attempting to analyse or discredit the genuineness of the manifestations they had received or attribute them to any other source than the one from whom they had supposedly came, I advised them to make an advantageous settlement with the agents having charge of the claims against them as they could, basing my statements upon what I believed were the principles of law concerning real estate, I told, told them it was my opinion that should the matter be thrown into court by the claimants or go before the Secretary of the Interior, it would be decided in favour of those who had received the grant from the Mexican government and that the boundary line would be located just where it was in the first survey along the line of the original river channel. It did not greatly surprise, surprise me though, I was disquieted in mind and somewhat hurt when I learned of the turn of events which followed this expressed opinion and advice. Certain brethren whose interests were involved and who had settled upon the land because of their confidence in the manifestations received expressed their disappointment in me in terms roundly denouncing me. Some even went so far as to suggest that what I had said was against my prophetic character, else I should have recognised the authenticity of those spiritual reassurances they had received and would have endorsed them. These rather harsh terms expressed the ill will and strong antagonism I had aroused. I was given to understand I should quietly mind my own business and allow the matter to proceed in the way they had started it which, of course, I was quite determined to do. A few of the brethren, thinking the whole matter over, decided to accept the advice I had given them, and governing themselves accordingly, made arrangements by which the money they had invested for improvements could be turned favourably when the final settlement should be made, regardless of whether the land should revert to the original claimants or remain in the possession of those who were holding it as land, which, through an accident of nature, had reverted to the public domain. I may end my recollections of this episode by stating that when the matter was finally decided by the proper authorities, the line of survey was fixed, as I had stated it would be, in the channel of the river as located when the grant was dated. Those brethren who had followed my advice lost much less than did those who continued in their contention for the land. A few of the latter, losing faith in themselves when the final decision was made against them, lost faith also in the manifestations which had influenced them to settle on the tracks, and as a consequence lost faith as well in the church, becoming indifferent to us, if not actively opposed, they paid no further attention to our interests as an organisation. To illustrate to illustrate the fickleness of that river, I may state that Brother Mills had settled upon an 80-acre strip of land, had built a house and barn there, put down a well and made all the improvements usual, usual to such a settlement. At one of my visits to him, he showed me how the river had made a detour, cut a new channel and washed about half of his 80 acres into the swamps, that is, the alveolar soil 
had been washed off the bed of rock which lay underneath. His barn had gone with it, and he was then making preparations to move his house further away from the under the un, undependable <laughs> sorry I didn't know what it said there um stream to a more secure location. The pump at the well had been left clear upon the other side of the new riverbed, and just for the novelty of the thing, I crossed over the river to get me a drink from that well. Subsequently, I learned another turn of the activities of the river, swooped the balance of his claim away. The soil was washed off its foundation, and what had been the former channel of the river was covered with debris from the mountainside, completing the ruin of his farm. Concerning this difficulty and show of ill will which marked this experience of mine at Santa Anna, I only care to add that while my reputation as a man and as an officer of the church suffered temporarily in some quarters, the final outcome of the case left me justified in the minds of the people and resulted in creating a more favourable impression upon um, a more favourable impression among them. An early migration. Next heading. As I have stated, about the time of the breakup at Nauvoo, quite a number of saints in New York, Boston and Providence, placing themselves under the care of Samuel Brannan, chartered the ship Brooklyn to convey them to California with the intention, as near as I could gather from what was told me by various ones, to migrate eastward from there and join the overland immigration from Illinois. However, the conditions which had arisen made it seem desirable to locate in California instead. Commodore Stockton and John C. Fremont, apparently acting in concert, had planted the stars and stripes in the territory, thereby assuring the supremacy and rule of the United States government. When the colony of 600 states saw... When the colony of 600 saints saw how favourable were the conditions for a settlement out there, Samuel Brannan was sent east to ascertain where Brigham Young had decided to locate, with a view to shaping the action of the colonists accordingly. He carried with him, I was told, quite a large sum of money in the shape of tithing and offerings from the incoming immigrants. Finding that Brigham Young had decided to settle in the Salt Lake Valley, Brannan asked permission for the group he represented to settle on the Western Slope Delta, along the foot of the mountains between them and the sea, explaining when he and others believed explaining what he and others believed to be the advantages of such a purchase and settlement. This permission was not granted. President Young Evidently, fearing it would result disastrously to his ambitions to control all the, all the active elements in the church. Elder Branham, being of an impulsive and hasty temperament, summarily closed the consultation and got away to the west without delivering over the tithes and offerings with which he had been entrusted, bringing them back to the people instead. He had become strongly dissatisfied with the rule of President Young and his methods and with various things he had observed during his visit there and carried this disaffection back to his waiting associates. 
this resulted in quite a large number deciding to stay away from Utah and to settle in and about the Alameda Valley, eastward toward San Benito County, where certain grants offered lands to settlers at a very low price. Among the sum, among the number were some I have already mentioned, John M. and Stephen Horner, Simeon Stivers and Brother Phillips, who were of Welsh descent or extraction, who remained, sorry, I've missed a bit, uh, William Potter and others of those, of these remained. I'm going to have to read that bit again. Excuse me. Of these who remained, a few, including John M. Horner, remained loyal to the church in Utah and for a number of years paid tithing to that institution. I'm going to leave that there. I'm getting tongue-tied. I'm going to continue the rest of the chapter in the next episode, um, which um, is headed A Fertile Land on page 153. Thank you for listening and thank you for your patience.